Good morning, family. Hope everyone's having a good Sunday morning so far. Staying cool, yes. You know, it could always be worse because we could be in a heat wave, which we're not. So that's good. Uh, we could be in another country where we don't have the privileges of having air conditioning while we worship together. Uh, when we were visiting India, I get, was that back in 2017, we were visiting this house church and it was in this uh, kind of a dirt courtyard. And, you know, they just gathered the whole uh, um, few families that are Christians and start worshiping together. And Karius is our sweaters. We sweat a whole lot. And my dad was with us. And so he's, he's sitting there sweating, like pouring out down sweat. And uh, the uh, church planner, this Indian church planner, like, kind of was waving his hand. I was like, Dr. John, Dr. John, it's like rain. It's like rain. He's really concerned. But we're used to it, so. so it could be worse. But no, we're so thankful we can gather together and worship together and praise our Lord together and learn through his word and uh, grow together. And so we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to be finishing up the chapter 15 and going into chapter 16 this morning. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather as your people, as your body. Lord, we pray for this time as we open up your word that you can bring it to life in our minds and our hearts, that you can show us what we need to see, that you can teach us what we need to be taught, that you can grow us in the ways we need to grow, that we can respond to all that we learn and what we see, and we can see how you have saved us through your Son, that you have done it, that you have achieved this for us, and that we can now walk in lightness, in light of this newness of light, of life. So, Lord, we pray that as we come to see uh, this passage, this section of Scripture, that you, you can really apply it to us, us as, as we need it applied. That we can grow and learn as, you need, as we need to be taught by you. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So decisions are hard. Decisions can be hard. Even decisions that should be really simple and easy, they seem like they're hard. Like deciding where you're going to eat as a family. It gets hard. It seems like my wife and I always argue about that decision of where we're going to go out to eat. When the fridge is empty, you know, and you're like, well, I don't want to go to the grocery store. I guess we're going out. We don't want to make the decision except to veto the other person's decision. And so it's like decisions can be hard. But even bigger decisions, maybe whether I should apply for that job or pursue that position or really you know, do this activity or that, bigger decisions in life can be difficult as well. And those life-changing decisions about career or family or how to follow the Lord and all of those things, it gets a little messy. And so sometimes I wish it was just clearer. I wish it was clear, how am I supposed to follow God? I wish that when I came to that fork in the road, I could go this way or that way. It just was clear on which way I needed to go. Because decisions are hard. Following God seems so simple on paper, seems so simple when you think about, oh, I just need to follow this way and do these things. But then when you enter that into the messiness of life, all of a sudden it gets a little bit more difficult. And I think most Christians, most believers, would relate to that in a sense, and they want to know, what does God want me to do? 
What does God want me? How does he want me to live? How does he, where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? And so we ask for guidance, which is right. We should. We should be seeking guidance from God. But when we ask for guidance, so often I think we can operate under some kind of misconceptions of how we ask for guidance from God. A lot of times when we ask for guidance from God, we think that uh, we should operate kind of like in the Old Testament stories. Maybe I need to lay out a fleece and determine what God wants me to do. Maybe I should be casting lots. Or maybe when we uh, ask for guidance, we maybe uh, operate under a misconception that God has laid out this blueprint for my life in detail, and it's my job to discover what it is, and if I mess up or I get off track here or there, then I've totally derailed God's plan for my life. These are all misconceptions, I would argue, about how we seek guidance from God, because we're struggling with this idea of what does God want me to do? We struggle with that. We struggle to know what God wants us to do and live. Or do we? Maybe, just maybe in our efforts to be certain of what God wants us to do, that we miss the point that he's already told us and laid out for us what he wants us to do. Maybe in our efforts to nail down the details and get really specific and really nitty-gritty about life, we miss the fact that he's already given us everything we need to follow him if we just realize it. And that we need to follow the guidance of God that he's already given us. Well, today as we look in Acts chapter 15 and chapter 16, I will argue that we see how God guides his people and that he guides his people in their life and in his mission even in the midst of the ups and downs that come with life. So you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 16, I mean 15, the end of chapter 15. Uh, we'll start in verse 36. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it'll be on the screen as well as we read chapter 15, 36 through 1610. So there's some context of where we were before, the week before. The... the Christian churches gathered in Jerusalem. They had what's called the Jerusalem Council. They determined, hey, there's actually freedom in living for Christ and that there's only a few things that we're going to dictate to people what they shouldn't do, but all other ways of living are kind of free and open for um, debate and following Christ in, in, in those three freely. And so they send a letter out to the church in Antioch and they, they give uh, uh, certain people, Silas and some other people, uh, this letter, and so Paul and Barnabas head back to Antioch, and that's where this story picks up. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and called and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them 
for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of uh, Phygria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit, Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to My- uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of, Mace- of Macedonia was staying there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So at first glance, maybe these kind of almost three sections of Scripture seem not connected. When you look at them at first glance, you might say, well, just, the, the common thread is that they, they describe how Paul starts his second missionary journey. But I would say there's another string, another thread that holds them together, and it's this. God guides his people for his mission. And in the midst of the ups and downs, in the midst of the conflict and disagreement, in the midst of no's and yeses, we see how God is guiding his people through all of this for his mission. That God guides his people for his mission. And so today we're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at this fact that God guides his people. And we're not going to actually examine five aspects, I would argue, that we see in this, this passage of how God guides uh, in the midst of life. And so the story starts with a disagreement between Baal and Barnabas. And this is not a good thing. There's nothing actually good about this disagreement in and of itself. And so we see the flaws of these people kind of rearing the ugly heads, and so we can say that God guides even in our flaws. Now, I don't know about you, but that is so important to me because I got some flaws. You got some flaws. Sorry to tell you that. And sometimes we get concerned because sometimes we get concerned that, man, I've messed up, or I'm going to mess up because I know I mess up, or we've gone off track and we think, maybe I've been sidelined. Maybe I'm somehow outside of God's plan for my life because I have not lived how I'm supposed to live. Or I've gone a different way and he's put me on the bench and I'm no longer on part of the A-team. I'm no longer on that A-track for the, God's plan for my life. We think this, but, we, but the reality is that even in our flaws, God is at work. Even in things that don't go right, God is guiding us and still using us. This should reassure us that God is bigger than our failures, He's stronger than our failings, and He's smarter than our mistakes. That God uses us even in disagreements and things that shouldn't happen. That why we might not even see it, it might not be overt, God is guiding us in these things. Because when we look at the example of Paul, and Barnabas, we see the flaws of these two men thinking they know the way in which to continue the mission of God and they're in sharp disagreement. This is not good. There's like, hey, let's go back to the churches we just visited that we just planted and let's strengthen them and deliver this letter to them and, and make sure they're following God like they're supposed to. And Barnabas says, yes, let's do this. Let's take John Mark. Remember him? He left us in Pamphylia. He, he turned around and went home. Let's take him. And Paul's like, no. We're not going to take 
a quitter with us back into the mission field. And it says a sharp disagreement ensued between them. And Barnabas is urging, let's take John Mark. We know later from Scripture that John Mark is uh, Barnabas' cousin, and he's seeking to restore him. And so he ends up taking his cousin, John Mark, and they sell off to Cyprus. And this is tragic, because right here is this split. You could, you, it's not a church split, but it's this missionary team split that there's nothing good in it of itself. The Scripture does not commend it. The scripture does not say, hey, it's wise, wise that you guys split and divided forces. And when you think about the story and who these characters are, it's downright tragic. For the relationship, you can see, had some tension now. And Barnabas, this is the last time he's mentioned in the book of Acts. He sells out of the account of history. No doubt he goes on to further ministry, fruitful ministry, but he's no longer included in the book of Acts. And this division is very, very decisive in their lives. And when you think about who Barnabas is, a prominent figure in this New Testament church, the first person who's mentioned to sell his property and give to the church, the guy who went and got Paul when the Jerusalem church was unsure about whether to accept him or not and brought him in and spoke on his behalf, the guy who went up to Antioch, sent by the Jerusalem church and said, hey, you guys need a teacher. And so we went and got Paul and brought him back to Antioch and gave him a mission to teach the church. This it was a tense companionship and relationship that Barnabas and Paul had, now all severed and harmed and tension put in there because they could not agree and find unity on this decision. And so they went their other way, the different ways. So while there's nothing good, I would argue about that decision itself, there is good that came out of that conflict. There's good that happens that God uses that conflict and that, that disagreement for good and that he, he's guiding Paul's journey because of that conflict and the, even Barnabas' journey that we don't know about. For while Paul and Barnabas were together, it was one mission, missionary team going out to these churches, but now there are two missionary teams headed to these churches to strengthen their churches as well as to grow their churches. So now they're heading in different directions, hitting more churches. One commentator says, often through our difficulties and failures that God leads us to increase creativity and productivity. That God uses the flaws of this, this disagreement now to bring about a greater impact on his church and impact on the world as there's now these two teams heading off to plant churches and to strengthen their churches. That God can use us even in our flaws, in our mess-ups, in our failures, to further his mission. Which is great comfort because it's true for us as well. So I don't know where you stand. I don't know what, you, what you're going through in, this, in your life right now, but we all fail. We all mess up. We all feel like we probably got sidetracked on what we're supposed to be doing. And at that point... We can get down ourselves, we can get depressed, we can think maybe God can't use me anymore, or God can't use me to further his kingdom anymore, or somehow I'm not good enough to do that. But all we look here and it says, even these great men of the church have these flaws that God uses and weaves in to his mission and accomplishes it through even our mistakes. This does not give us license to mess up. This does not say, hey, we look on our mess ups as good things. No, but when we do mess up, which we all do, 
when we do fail, we can have that comfort as we process through that, that God is not done with us and that he's still going to use us for his glory because God guides his people for his mission. And one of those great benefits we see in that division, that disagreement, is that new workers are added to these missionary teams and we see one of the ways that God guides is that he brings workers to the task at hand. He guides by providing the workers needed for the mission. For Paul, sets off on this island, kind of, on the inland kind of uh, excursion to go back up to Asia Minor to strengthen these churches. And who does he take with him? He takes Silas now instead of Barnabas. Silas was introduced to us as being sent to Antioch by Jerusalem, and he was called a prophet. He, he's, he's a man who knew the word of God, and he was of well, uh, rep, uh, a good reputation by the church. He's also a Roman citizen, and so he's going to, that citizenship comes in play in the book of Acts and is going to be used positively as Paul and Silas journey through the Roman Empire. That he ends up writing and recording some of the epistles for Paul, as we see from some of the salutations at the end of uh, Paul's epistles. And so we see that while having Barnabas no longer with him is a great loss for Paul, having Silas with him is also a great gain for the ministry as they seek to honor God and continue on. And in the midst of the journey, God also provides and brings to Paul Timothy that when he gets to Lester and Iconium, the church commends to him this young man, Timothy. This young man who has a foot in both worlds, if you will. His mother is, is, a, is a Jewish woman, and his father was Gentile, and so he lives in both those worlds. What a better, what could there be a better person to help Paul as he goes to preach the gospel first to the Gentile? Well, I mean, first for the Jew, and then to the Gentile? No, this, now Timothy is brought into the fold because God brings the workers to hand. It's funny that they're taking this letter saying, hey, you don't have to be circumcised to the churches. And one of the first things he does to Timothy is circumcise him. And that can trip us up a little bit. But the fact is that Timothy was half Jew. And so to all the Jewish people, he was a disobedient Jew for not being circumcised. And so Paul was removing that stumbling block to the ministry to the Jewish people by having Timothy circumcised. And Timothy voluntarily took that upon himself to remove any hindrance to the mission as they continue to preach to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But that's not just the only people in play here. We also see John Mark, this guy who there's very little mention to him. He's just mentioned here and there throughout the Bible. But Barnabas takes him and he's really kind of like... Um, reinstated, you might say, to the ministry. He's given a second chance. And we know John Mark actually is reconciled with Paul in his later years. And we know that Peter thought John Mark was a great help if you read in 1 Peter um, and you see how he talks about him. And this is a guy who ends up writing one of the Gospels. And so we see how God brings the people needed at the right time and guides through that. There's even the case made that the author of Acts, Luke, joins them right here because now the, the verbiage switches and it's no longer they did this, but we go and do this. If you, catch, if you caught that when they start heading into Macedonia, it seems like also now Luke is there present with them. And so we see all these people being added to the team and that God is guiding through that. Because one aspect of God's guidance is that he brings the right people for the task at hand. And that's true for us as well. 
God has brought you where you are for His mission. God has brought you to your workplace, to your family, to your friend group, to your neighborhood, to this church for His mission. That He has brought you there to be used by Him to love people well, to serve people well, to disciple people, to spread the gospel and to grow His church. That no matter where you are or what you're going through, you can rest assured that God has brought you there for however long you're there for His mission. We get caught up a lot of times thinking, longing for something different. The grass always seems to be greener over there. And we keep looking for those opportunities. And there's nothing wrong with seeking to better your situation. There's nothing wrong seeking to get a better job. There's nothing wrong to seek to serve your family and provide for them better. There's nothing wrong with that. But something becomes wrong when in the hopes and the dreams of looking there and hoping for what might be that we lose sight of where we are right now and how God can use us there. That forever, for however long we are where we are, God has placed us there to be used for His mission. So we can rest assured that we're not somehow in limbo or we got to move somewhere or get some, some position or be someone different to be used by God. No, God has placed you there for a reason. And we need to look for those opportunities to serve Him. We need to look to the reality that God has brought us to where we are so that we can grow and serve Him and love people and minister to people and to grow His church wherever we are. One of my favorite lines in the Old Testament, and it's particularly used with King David or with King Saul, is that he would tell uh, um, David to go to a certain place. And then he would say, whatever comes into your hand, do it. He didn't give him explicit instructions. He trusted, hey, you're my man. You follow me. Go there, and then however you think you need to follow me, do that. And I love that because I think that provides so much guidance for us that we should have that assurance that we're called by God to go where he has put us. We're called by God to be where he has put us. And then whatever comes into our hands, as we live for him, do it for his glory that we are supposed to serve Him in all those ways, all for the glory of God, to be used by Him for His mission. Because God guides His people for His mission. But God guides us for His mission, but this is never a solo expedition on our own. For God gives us the Christian community to help guide us. And we see this in this passage. For we see it first in verse 40 of chapter 15 of when Paul and Silas are heading out. It says, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That the church approved of their mission. They basically were sent out by the church once again. Go, get after it, guys, is what they're saying. And Paul and Silas went and they served the Lord. And then we see it again when Paul ends up in Lystra in Iconium. And we, and they, uh, we see that Timothy is introduced to him by the church. It says he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. That the church, the community of faith, actually brought a worker before Paul, basically saying, this guy is, could serve you well. And we see the church, this community of faith, acting this way to guide the people of God for his mission. 
So the church is used by God. The community of faith is used by God. But it's funny because this actually can rub us the wrong way. Because we're independent people. We're strong Americans. We have set off a lot of fireworks to prove it and blew stuff up. We're free. We don't need anyone telling us what to do. And so when we think about community and how it can be used by God to guide us, there's actually some submission and some, some relationship that goes on there that might rub us the wrong way. We think all I need is my Bible and my relationship with God, and I'll be fine. But we're not designed to be alone. Man was not designed to be alone just by himself in the garden, and the Christian was not designed to be alone here now. That God has given us the Christian community as a good thing to live with us and strengthen us, to keep us from drifting, to keep us on track, to keep us from wandering astray, to call us in check when we need to be called in check, to love us and support us when we need that support and that love. That he's called the Christian community to be there for us, and that he uses that Christian community to guide us to how best we can serve him and love people as he's called us to love people. So the Christian community is there for our benefit so that we can be guided by God through them. This means that we cherish this community of faith that we've been given by God. We should love it. We should lean into it. <clears throat> that we seek to grow together and we seek to love deeply. We don't forsake meeting together. That we listen to each other. We share with with each other, what God has been doing in our lives, and we ask each other, ask counsel from one another on how we should make decisions and how we should move and, and how we should serve and what we should do. We seek to uh, grow together and make the community as strong as possible all together because we know that the community of faith is given to us by God as a good thing to guide us in his ways because God guides his people for his mission. But he doesn't just use our flaws or bringing people to task or, <coughs> excuse me, the Christian community to guide us, but he also guides us through no's. Those no's in life. When plans fail, expectations maybe are shattered. When you're left picking up the pieces of what you wanted to happen in your life, your dreams... God uses those instances to guide us in life. Just check out Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and maybe Luke at this point. They're traveling through Asia Minor, and it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. This is not the continent of Asia. There's a small province of Asia where Ephesus is, and so it's to the south. And so somehow the Holy Spirit forbid them to go south. And then they're like, okay, we'll go north. And so uh, uh, Biathenia is, is to north and say, we'll go up there. And somehow the, 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 um, Jesus Christ did not allow them to go up there. And so they're like, okay, I guess we'll continue forward. And they end up going on to Troas. <coughs> and that's where they ended up. That they actually were guided by God through these no's in their life. That they had expectations, they had uh, aspirations to reach these different cities for the word of God, but yet God guided them through somehow being forbidden or prevented from going into those regions. That God actually closed doors in whatever way that happened. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know if, they, if, they, if uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to them or if they saw a vision or anything or if there was a sickness or maybe a roadblock. Who knows? We don't know why they did not go into those regions, but the door was closed and they say, hey, 
somehow God is preventing us from doing God's work in those kingdoms, and so let's continue forward. And the overall effect actually is that they are set up to actually now go into Europe and invade Europe with the gospel, which changes all of history, but that's a separate point. But you can just take note of this fact, that in the midst of these no's, they it doesn't seem like they got discouraged. I'm sure they did, but it doesn't seem like they let that discouragement overwhelm them. They didn't lament over the missed opportunities or the what-ifs, what could have been if we could have gone to this region or that region. They trusted God even in the hardship of those closed doors and continued on. They didn't see the closed doors as a reason to stop the mission or to turn around or to give up because they were confident in what God had called them to do. And so they continued forward. I don't know about you, if you ever have experienced closed doors in your life, things not working out as you expected. Uh, they're not pleasant. They're usually not fun. And I bet we probably all have experienced that. But the, the fact is God works in those to guide us. In my own personal life, I'm sure he's done it many times, but one big example just glares at me is, is after seminary, I, I got what I thought was my dream job that really quickly actually went sideways, and, and so I was ending up looking for other pastoral positions, and I had to suffer through the constant nose of a national-wide pastoral search application to seeing out hundreds of applications and hearing again and again, no. Actually, that was the pleasant thing to hear. No, usually you just got crickets as they didn't even respond to you. But you had to I had to struggle through this constant suffering of no's. That I thought I was supposed to go this way. No. I thought, how about this way? No. How about I do this? No. But all that actually led me to where I am now at River Valley Community Church, where I got opportunities I would never have gotten anywhere else, where I could probably grow in ways I never could have grown somewhere else, that maybe God knew what he was doing when he brought me here, and now I stand before you, uh, which I probably would not have been doing if I had received any yes along that train of life. Looking back, you can see how God guides through no's. That God guides you, when you even when it does not feel good. And you're like, wow, that really would be good if that happened. And you have to struggle with that. And you have to wrestle with that. And we have to keep ourselves from being depressed or thinking somehow we're worthless or somehow maybe I am off track of God's plan, if we, but we have to stay confident in what God has called us to do and keep serving him even in the midst of nose and keep moving forward. Because God guides his people for his mission. And then finally... We see God guiding through revelation. Paul receives revelation. He receives a vision. There they are at Troas, and they're, they're sitting on this port city, and he receives this vision of the Macedonian man calling out to be liberated, saying, you need to come over here. And, God, and Paul knew this was a vision from God, knew that God was telling him, cross the strait, go into Macedonia, invade Europe for the gospel. He probably did not think Europe because that continents and like that were not named that at that point, but he was received this vision to go into Macedonia, and he, so he did. And the truth is, God guides us through revelation as well. I'm not saying 
that you need to wait for a vision to decide what to do. Or even expect a vision. Because I would argue that he's already giving you his complete revelation right here in his word that we can pick this up, we can read this, we can know him, and we can see what he wants us to do with our life. That we have God's completed revelation to us. Everything we need for life and godliness handed to us. That we can know him, know how Christ has saved us, see how Christ has called us to follow him in all aspects of our life. And if we know it and listen to it and apply it, then we know what God wants us to do with our life. We know how God is guiding us. That when we get caught up in that question, what does God want to do, want me to do with my life, all we have to do is know what he has said here. And he has told us what he wants us to do with life. He wants us to love him and to serve others and love them. He wants us to follow Christ and give our lives daily as a sacrifice to serve him. He wants us to grow his church, spread his gospel, serve people and love people. These are the things God has called us to. He's made it clear through his scripture. This is what I want from you. Be my people and work and be holy and sanctified as my people, always working with my power that I have given you that works so wonderfully in you. That's it. That's what God wants us to do. And we go, yeah, but there's so many details on how that works out. And that's the beauty of it is that, yes, there's so many details, and God cares about those details. But you have this amazing freedom to follow God in those details because everyone has different details in which they can follow God. I love this, the paraphrase, really, of Augustine. When he's talking about this, he says, love God and do what you want. This 14th century uh, um, you know, uh, church father, he says, love God and do what you want. That if we're loving God, if we're seeking to love God, putting him first in our life, if we <coughs> orient our whole life around God and we are his people, then when we come to those details and that is our operating parameters that we're loving God, then we get to do what we want because what we want is going to be colored and marinated by that thought and desire to love God and that we don't stress or worry about sometimes thinking, man, man, maybe I missed the boat because we trust that God has guided us where we need to go. Because God guides his people for his mission. <coughs> and I'll just leave you with this. God guides you. For his mission, he guides you. Even in your flaws, because you are flaws, God is using just take a look at the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints. These are the ranks that are filled with liars, cheaters, scoundrels, cowards, schemers, and sinners. So you're in good company. And God used them, and he'll use you as well for his mission. And because we know that God uses us, the fact is that you are needed. God doesn't need you, but he needs you, or his people need you, and he's brought you to where you are for a purpose, and so we need to lean into that, that you are needed. You're needed in your family, you're needed in your workplace, you're needed in your friend group, you're needed in your neighborhood, and you're needed in your church. That God has planted you where you are, and so you need to plant deep, serve well, and love boldly, as because you are needed.
used by God for his mission. And that you are needed in that community because he has given you a community of faith to help you grow. This is an urge to be involved. Know your community of faith. Lean into that and know it. And that you realize that the community of faith, the church, is here for you and that you're here for them. And that this is a relationship as we grow together. And that even when life does not work out, through the nose, you know that God is still at work. Even no matter how hard it might be, no matter the pain you might be suffering, no matter what hope or dream was kind of dashed on the rocks of reality, and you're suffering through that, you trust in our God who is still using that to guide you where he wants you to go. And so you don't focus so much on that, but you focus on where he is directing you and where he is taking you, and you focus on him who is taking you there. Because God uses the nose of life. And through it all, God speaks to you. Each and every Christian, God speaks to you. All you have to do is pick up your word. And as you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit, which is dwelling in you, will bring his words to life and will apply them to your life. And you can know what God wants of you. And you can hear God speak. So we pick up our Bibles and we truly become people of the Word as we seek to saturate every aspect of us in His Word, listening to God. And through it all, we know this fact. God guides His people for His mission. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank You so much for who You are, for how You love us, for how You guide us in all of those different ways. Thank you, Lord, for your word, that we can read it, we can apply it to our lives, we can see how you've guided your early church, and know that's how you guide us as well. Maybe not in the same details, but in those broad principles that we can use to apply to our life and see you and know you and worship you. So, Lord, I pray pray for all of us here, that we can see you working in our lives, that we can see how you've guided us, that we can trust in how you're bringing us to where you need us to go. That we can, we can lean into the, your purposes here right now as you have brought us to where we need to be. That even in life not going how we might have it charted out, we can trust in you all the more. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.